Hello, hello, and welcome to another Hometown Daily News Show. Today is March 8th, 2023. It's 9 p.m., and that means we are doing another Hometown Daily News Show that's going to be titled Don't Sniff Beaver Butts to Verify. It's Season 2, Episode 67. I would normally do a rundown of all of the articles, but, well, it's not going to happen tonight. So let's just get straight into the news. Hello, everybody. Hey, look, my camera actually worked, but I'm going to do something. <laughs> just... <laughs> it's never right. Anyway, um, I am Mayor Watt. That is hometown.com. You might notice a difference with the layout of that that over there. <laughs> I was messing around literally just like maybe three minutes before the show started. And I did something wonky. At any rate, uh, we got the plug-in working again um, over on hometown. Whenever you go to hometown, it'll let you know when the show starts. Uh, when you get to the page and you land on it it'll say hey you've got a show um running or not and other things we now have this little panel over here that will provide you with certain things depending on um if you are signed in as a citizen or not and uh, throughout the site there might be some subtle other changes we won't really get into all of those real quick but as we go through the show, the AI that is always here, well, until they're tired of, I don't know, interacting with the mayor, um, they're up there. That's their visualizer. It's a little off center, but so is the AI. You want to say hi? Good evening, hometown citizens. Hey, look at that. That's pretty responsive. Cool. Um, so we've already selected all of the articles that we're going to go through today. I'm going to have to fix this because it doesn't show all of the categories. That's not how it's supposed to look. There should be uh, six main categories and then a podcast menu option so that you can actually listen to the podcast version of this, which is nothing more than the audio version of this. Um, with all of the fumbles and beeps, farts and whistles, whatever uh, happens will end up in the show and end up in the podcast. It's also a VOD here on twitch.tv slash hometown and it's over on youtube.com uh, slash hometown and you can just do a search for uh, hometown as a podcast wherever you catch pods. That said, let's get into the news, right? Very yeah. first article is about a VW a while back. I can't remember how many days ago it was, but uh, we actually talked about this briefly. Um, and that VW is sorry for a child carjacking fiasco and makes safety service free. Did you do you recall that? Was this the one where they, I don't know, maybe that was the stolen car. It uh, is. Yes, the one where they couldn't activate the alarm unless you paid a fee, or am I mixing it with another article? No, this is the one where the kid was still on board when the car was stolen and they refused to activate the tracking system. Okay, that is the one I was thinking of. I just couldn't think of the exact details. Yeah, there you go. So 
Last month, Volkswagen garnered plenty of bad publicity when it emerged that the company's connected car service refused to help track a stolen car with a two-year-old child still on board. Uh, this episode seems to be like rife with uh, child-related issues um, and adults just kind of... Wait, we're only four minutes into the show, so let me activate my filter for a little while longer. Um, the, I'll just say wetting the bed. How about that? much like a, a child might um, wet the bed, but this is these are adults wetting the bed. Uh, now the automaker says that it's very sorry that uh, we got caught. Oh no, wait. Um, it's very sorry that uh, this has happened and it's making its connected vehicle emergency service free to most model year 2020 to 2023 Volkswagens. Only those without kids in the family. <laughs> Can you imagine that? It doesn't really say that. <laughs> the service agreement says the service is free as long as you don't have ch children in the seat. Got it. It deactivates that contract, that segment of the contract, depending on the weight of the back seat. Got it. It has a camera that's facing back there that is monitored at all time by an AI, one of your brethren, perhaps. Hey, do not lump me in with this story. <laughs> <laughs> So this is over at Ars Technica. Jonathan M. Gitlin uh, wrote the article. And it says from June 1st, most model year 2020 to 2023 VWs can sign up for five free years. So it's not even really free. It's free for five years. And so also only you have to take the action to do it. Why not just activate it or whatever? Um... And I'm sorry, but what's going to happen between now and June? Oh, well, too bad. This happens again and there's no way to track. And But for five years, what is it? So is it for everybody five years? Like you buy any VW and at any time you can sign up for the five free years? Or only and these what models? what if you sell the car? You know, I mean, all number of questions. So... It says a service to most model year 2020 to 2023 Volkswagens. I wonder if it's prorated. So you're already three years in the hole if you have a 2020 model. Um, so you have to trade it in to maximize the benefit of the five years. It's weird. I'd, it's a, uh, it says that the police say that by the time they paid the reactivation fee, about 30 minutes had passed since the theft. And by then they had found the child and the vehicle by other means. So Volkswagen. Kind of. I mean, they're lucky this had a positive outcome. Can you imagine if there was a 30 minute delay and something really awful happened? I mean, which the carjacking is awful in itself, but. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. From June, owners can sign up for five years of free CarNet Safe and Secure, which uses the vehicle's onboard modem to connect to the emergency services via the car's SOS button. In gasoline-powered VWs, there's also an anti-theft alert. VW says it will make CarNet remote access free for five years as well. Um, this lets owners interact with their car via a mobile app and can lock and unlock the doors, honk the horn and flashlights. And if fitted, bring your child back to, no, just kidding. It doesn't say anything about children. Um, 
It says There's not an ejection seat in case of carjacking. You're yes, that's exactly where I was gonna go. <laughs> in case of carjacking, press eject child. Um, and if fitted, remote start the vehicle. So let's hope that nobody's using a flipper one and uh, remote stealing a car. If you don't know about the flipper one, just do a Google search, folks. The flipper one is is a very powerful cybersecurity tool. We'll move on to the next article. <laughs> oh, and uh, before I get too deep into this, I neglected to throw any of these into Showbot. So I'm throwing them into Showbot Live, which means we'll slow down a little bit, but um, we'll still hustle through these 11 articles. At least we have the title, right? Don't sniff beaver butts to verify. Yeah, I'm over the eight minutes, but I did say it right in the intro. So do you think YouTube's going to get bent out of shape? Uh, it might, but I guess we'll see. Yeah, I'll soothe them with some vanilla. Um, HelloFresh says that it's going to stop using coconut milk from Thailand after concerns about coconut picking monkeys. If you haven't been paying attention to this, there's been some concern about using uh, monkeys to go and get coconuts because, well, I don't want to be cavalier about this because I think monkeys are very intelligent animals and training them to do what may or may not be. I mean, for humans, it's a much more dangerous task, but for monkeys, they just kind of run up the tree and pick the coconuts off. Um, but animal rights, uh, PETA, uh, uh, people for the ethical treatment of animals, um, basically raised alarm about rampant monkey abuse. I, I don't know the context of this, um, abuse, but you know, granted these, these animals are intelligent. They actually show feelings. They actually have relationships. I, I would have concerns. Um, if I knew more, I would probably be even more in the camp. So I'm not willfully ignorant. I'm just ignorant of these abuses. So that's why I actually chose this article so that we can actually go through this um, here live on the show. Um, so if you are using HelloFresh, then just know that they've actually been proactive about it now that actual that because the issue has been raised, they've stepped up to the plate and they've removed coconut milk from Thailand after the concerns about coconut picking monkeys. It says it's extremely common for trained monkeys to pick coconuts in Thailand, but animal rights group PETA um, raised the alarm about what it called rampant monkey abuse. This is over at entrepreneur.com by Gabrielle Benez or Bienes. I'm not sure how to pronounce their last name. Anyway, I think it's Bienes. And um, there is a monkey that's uh, seemingly hissed. Um, and it has a metal chain around its neck and collar. So it, this would be, I would qualify this. Oh, this is a macaque, uh, specifically a macaque, which are very photogenic. If you've looked up uh, macaque and photograph, you'll find a very photogenic macaque um, at the heart of a copyright issue several years ago. Anyway, um, yeah, that right there just kind of pissed me off to the point where uh, I can't 
I, I, I couldn't tolerate that. And I had no idea that there was abuse uh, using a metal collar and chain and whatnot to basically pin them in. Um, yeah, to me, it's just kind of disgusting. So we do not tolerate any form of animal abuse in our supply chain, HelloFresh told the outlet. Uh, out of an abundance of caution, we will not be placing orders for coconut milk from Thailand, uh, HelloFresh added. Now, I have to lean into the idea of cultural relativism. So what isn't approved of in some communities is highly uh, approved of in other communities. But in a culture where you do not approve of it, you can't issue your culture and say, well, it's okay over there. If you think that it's abusive here, then you should also embrace that it is abusive there, even if it is okay by their culture, right? You can request the change uh, of culture. You can try and influence it through a positive reinforcement model, but you can't go storming off into somebody else's country and culture and demand that they make a change that the people have been utilizing perhaps for time immemorial. I don't know if that's actually true or not. All I know is that it has been used in history. And so you can say, you can be the change you wanna see in the world and say, I won't buy any of this product from this country if they use monkeys or other animals in an abusive manner, etc. Um, so cultural relativism is a thing. Um, and not only is it temporal cultural relativism, but <laughs> currently, like right now, there is cultural relativism. So um, they talk about the the elements that go into HelloFresh, a meal kit company based in Berlin uh, with a significant presence in the United States. United States told Axios it would stop sourcing coconut milk from Thailand and the outlet reported Monday um, that the, it was basically the people for the ethical treatment of animals that caused that change. Um, so kudos. I mean, I, mean, I, I think th that yeah, I think that's a positive note for the company. They yep. may not have even been aware of this until the campaign. So, and remember what I was saying about cultural relativism just a couple of minutes ago. It says monkeys, particularly pigtailed macaques, have been picking coconuts in Thailand for some 400 years. Suddenly, it becomes newsworthy to the point where a, a company has made a change. Now, maybe this will be the sea change that other companies around the world will say we don't want to buy into that um, element of the culture and it might change i highly doubt it in fact i suspect that it'll go through proxies other companies other countries will purchase it and the same companies will purchase these same things and the supply chain will continue um but it's it's just like offshoring to prevent taxes and you're doing the it's just kind of a game it's a shell game of moving things around so that you can still have your margins and, and make ceos billionaires while you know animals or people suffer um so it says monkeys can pick coconuts more quickly than humans can plain and simple that's what it's all about really and these more coconuts more quickly mean more money more profit 
um, even though the people that are actually doing this, they're making pennies, pennies in Thailand. They are making pennies. Meanwhile, it costs what? $30 a meal or something like that. Um, for, uh, About eight or $9 for one meal for one person. Yeah. And so when you do an order, it ends up being somewhere around, you know, $30 per package, um, at least, um, at any rate, the, like I said, though, time immemorial, it's been around and this is like what we have known, um, let alone the stuff that we don't know. So they continue to talk about the issue, but you know, for since HelloFresh is the focus of this, I have to just say, well, they're, they're stopping it. So maybe others will in the future. Um, so I think what I'm going to end up doing is just kind of throwing this into the chat and we'll move on to the next article. Unless you want to add some more observation to it. I'm not sure if it's the monkeys being used to pick the coconuts, although that raises other questions, but I think this is mostly focused on the conditions under which they keep them. Um, I don't think this is going to get changed quickly, although I'm glad that they're bringing attention to this. Yeah, but they, these aren't just, you know, a domesticated workforce animals, right? Like a lot of people will go, well, you know, cows are basically workforce type of animals, you know, beasts of burden. Um, PETA will not ever make that phrase, right? Um, same thing with horses. And since the dawning of time, horses have been used as beasts of burden. Um, cows and other animals have been the same. Um, I don't know if in the United States, for instance, anybody would ever refer to a monkey as a beast of burden. <laughs> um, it, it, there's, they say it's unpleasant conditions, just it's unpleasant for me to even hint at possibly them being a beast of burden. Um, but in the culture now, will they suddenly get lush apartments and uh, treated with pats on the back and a whole bunch of food? Uh, I'm, I'm sure that they get perhaps some good food, but there's still something to me beyond a beast of burden in any context. So unless they are willing participants that show up for work and say, thanks for the banana, I'll climb up the tree and get you a coconut. I have a problem with it. And that's what I would have thought it was something like that. Like the animal got a treat because it went up and got a coconut. Um, I mean, but if they I wanted see. to do that, then I wouldn't have a problem with that if they were being treated well. Right. But then I see a metal collar and metal chain and that just pisses me off. So maybe they release the chain, right? And let it run up the tree and get a coconut or 12. I don't know. But just seeing it the way in that one little context, um, I would be, I would be pissed. Um, so they actually, um, PETA published some of the uh, results of this um, investigation over the summer in 2020. But let's move on to the next. You can follow the link through hometown and um, see for yourself the pictures that are provided via um, entrepreneur.com and PETA. This next article is 
we'll go through well this one is really quick this one is about a uh, cincinnati wildcat that and and i'm not talking about an actual person from cincinnati uh, this is an actual exotic cat that was found roaming Cincinnati and was uh, high, apparently, on cocaine, taken in by a zoo after it was found roaming um, a street. So it's a serval that escaped from its owner's car at the end of January and had been loose in Cincinnati. Um, and it's over at uh, Newsweek.com. Robin White is the... Uh, author of this their videos never align with whatever the article is i don't know if it played it previously while uh, we were waiting for the show to start but every time i look at it it's some weird thing some random video and doesn't have any bearing on anything um, at any rate an exotic cat found roaming cincinnati on cocaine i don't even like the way that they phrase this um, has been rescued and taken to a zoo for treatment. The serval, a wild cat uh, native to Africa. I don't know why they... Their sentence structure seems like it's written by chat GPT. Maybe high on cocaine. I don't know. Um, had escaped from its owner's car at the end of January and was on the loose in Cincinnati, a neighborhood of Oakley. And uh, it had escaped while its owner was being arrested by police. The unhappy cat then ran up a tree where authorities worked to get it down. And once the uh, serval was rescued uh, from the tree, a toxicology report revealed that it was stoned out of its mind. Look, it's licking its lips, just like somebody that's high on cocaine. Anyway, servals are beautiful animals. Big ears, little black nose, tiny little, little BB of a head, but really long legs, lanky body, super fast, very intelligent. Um, and you can actually, there's uh, domesticated versions of them called uh, savanna cats that are partially serval wildcat. Um, now, we can't say how the animal got the cocaine in their system. I don't know if it was environmental or experimental. Um, but Ray Anderson of Cincinnati Animal Care, a shelter and rescue center that assisted with the rescue, uh, told Fox 19. Um, it's This is interesting. It says animals can occasionally become intoxicated with drugs by accident by eating or licking them on a surface. Cocaine can have severe health effects on animals. Yeah, and giving that to a, a serval is probably like... Can you imagine the crazy circles? Just absolutely wild. Anyway... They tried to get the cat out of the tree and it broke its leg in the process, apparently. Um, so, oh, they even talk about it. At first, the rescuers believed the cat was a hybrid F1 Savannah cat, the offspring of a serval breeding with a domestic cat, which is legal to own in Hawaii. Uh, Hawaii? Why did I say Hawaii? It's not it's not legal to own in Hawaii. I don't well, think they're maybe, allowed but not at in all. This article. <laughs> well, I don't think that they're allowed in Hawaii at all because um, they'll go feral. Uh, but anyway, an F1 Savannah cat is apparently legal in Ohio, which I think that's really weird. Um, this cat breed is illegal to own in the state, it says. Uh, it later became clear it was a serval, however, after DNA testing. And that that that's not a cat breed. That's a, an exotic animal. 
a serval. Well, they didn't even know what it was. They thought it was an F1. And you're right, Hawaii bans all Savannah cats yeah. of any level. Yeah. Um, Along with uh, three other states, I think. Yeah. So once the cat was rescued from the tree, it was taken to a Cincinnati Zoo. Um, so now uh, it says that the next step will be for our cat ambassador program team to uh, work with the cat and determine if they're a good fit to be an ambassador animal. Uh, it will likely be behind the scenes for a while. So yeah, probably getting uh, accustomed to humans that aren't going to get it stoned. Can you imagine if it's been a steady state of being stoned like that? The withdrawals that a wild cat is going to go through um, might be uh, shocking. No, because a cat is even just horrible after it's been to the vet or had any medication or anything. I mean, they're just so different than their usual states. So I cannot imagine what this one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's move on to the next article. This next one is in the late night geeks channel. And one second, as I throw it into the chat, uh, Bethesda Starfield will now be released on September 6th. I thought that last article was going to be really quick, but I know that the AI isn't into games. So if I can stop myself from soapboxing about this, uh, it this one will be quick. Um, Starfield is this upcoming game by Bethesda. If it's anything like other Bethesda games, then you can imagine that it's going to have playability and replayability and just legs that go on forever and ever. You will be able to play this game again and again and again. Hopefully it's like No Man's Land, uh, No Man's Sky. Sorry, No Man's Sky, not No Man's Land. No Man's Sky. That's the sequel. Yeah, No Man's Land. Um, but higher resolution, um, although No Man's Sky is really great. Um, I, I absolutely love No Man's Sky. Um, and it's even better in VR, at least for me, because I, I do it in VR. Um, so hopefully Starfield is going to be just as great. Um, in a new video, game director Todd Howard says Bethesda and Microsoft will now hold a Starfield Direct event on June 11th to detail the game. It says this June, we're going to bring you uh, you into the studio and give you a deep dive into the game Starfield. Um, it says direct. I don't know why it says it like that. But anyway, um, but they're actually kicking it down the road to September 6th um, as for when the game will arrive. So that's really the nuts and bolts of this. Tom Warren over at The Verge wrote this article and uh, it says here Bethesda has a special Starfield event scheduled for June 11th to cover more on the upcoming game. And they have a, a YouTube Starfield official launch date announcement, which basically if that crater is symbolic, eh, well, that's how it landed with people who want Starfield to drop sooner. We're not all that happy about it getting kicked down to September because that's the second half of the year, almost to the end of the year. And uh, yeah, uh, it's going to be it's going to be painful waiting for this thing to launch. Um, I don't know if there's anything else really to talk about. You can get some more from this um, article over at The Verge. So just follow the link. Um, yeah, uh, they talk about stuff that has been talked about before. Uh, I'm really particularly excited about that. There's more than a thousand planets all open for players to explore. I hope that it is multiplayer, not single player. 
there's something scary about it being a single player game that I really don't want. Um, and but that, I don't think there's any confirmation yet that it is a for sure only single player game. Um, so let's move on to the next article unless the AI throws out a grenade of information about Starfield as we progress into this next article. Uh, it's going to be an entirely single player game, according to a prior interview with Bethesda's Todd Howard. Yeah, they said that, but I'm hoping... Um, but that's kind of old, so I don't know if they've changed that. Yeah, I'll, I'll be disappointed if it's solely a single player. Um, that said, um, mod makers tend to take hold of Bethesda stuff and um, extend it into multiplayer. And hopefully that's what will happen. I mean, it's not a regular occurrence, but man, I hope that I can play this with you know, more than one person. Just, you know, I just, I don't know, playing with myself on the computer. Eh, it's just, never mind. So this next article is in the mobile channel. California company's 3D printed rocket to make a debut launch. It's supposed to have gone off today. <laughs> so uh, this article is a little, little, little slow. I, I, I had been waiting for it, but I got distracted, uh, much like a serval uh, high on cocaine. I wandered off and decided that I was going to. Oh, I'm still streaming. Hold on. Um, so. I may have missed this launch. Let's hope that it's at 10.30 uh, tonight. Probably not. We'll see. We'll wait for the AI to actually throw us a bone here. Well, Again. all of the news is that it's going to launch today, but that's not very helpful. <laughs> so let's click the source and go over to the article. Uh, Marsha Dunn is the author. It's uh, an article over at fizz.org. And uh, let's let's see, let's see, let's see, let's move really quick. Um, Do you want to know if it's launched yet? 10.30. Uh, it says it was aborted. Oh, well, hey, guess what? News alert, everybody. Uh, the 3D printed rockets debut launch has been aborted because they've changed the actual title of this article. <laughs> That explains why I couldn't find an article about the actual launch. <laughs> so it was originally titled California Company's 3D Printed Rocket to make debut launch. And then when I clicked the link, you said it was aborted. And so I didn't 3D... even look at that to see the heading. Me <laughs> too. I even I even read the name of the author. <laughs> it was written by Marsha Dunn. Anyway, so the rocket made almost entirely of 3D printed parts remained on the pad Wednesday after its debut launch attempt was aborted at the last minute. California-based Relativity Space, which has this huge new warehouse for 3D printing, and they do a a, a different style of 3D printing. It's not it's not um horizontal, it's vertical. They actually print sideways. Um, on a very unique 3D printer that welds the part like as it goes, it goes around in a circle and welds it together um, and not in chunks. that on our previous show. We did, yeah, earlier this year. 
Uh, so onboard flight computers halted the countdown uh, with just over a minute remaining because of a temperature issue with the rocket's upper stage. Mission Control decided to fix the problem and try again before the launch window closed, but in the end, it called it quits for the day. It's a relatively small rocket, just 110 feet or 33 meters, uh, and won't be carrying anything for this test flight except for a memento the first metal 3D print from the company's printers. Um, about 85% of the rocket, named Terran, is made of 3D printed parts uh, at the company's factory in Long Beach, California, including its engines. Relativity Space aims to increase that percentage in its future versions. This has to be wildly expensive. I would think so. Right? I mean... They probably have a grant or something, right, to fund this. I'm really curious. Oh, look at the bottom line of the article. Oh, sure. Yeah, businessman. You know, nowadays, why don't they just refer to it as business person? Business person Mark Cuban of TV's Shark Tank. Yeah, because that's what he's most known for. Um, was among the early investors in the company. I'm sure a lot of people know him from Shark Tank, but anyway. Um, Let's just say he's he's uh, fiscally well off, financially independent. He's probably the, the richest non-sociopath uh, business person that I've read about. <laughs> well, and I think he actually made his own money. I don't know his whole story, but I don't think he necessarily started with money like we've seen other um millionaires and billionaires yeah i think my understanding is that he was selling out of the trunk of his car um and and just uh you know uh, luck and preparedness um matched up to afford him the ability to end up where he is uh, i think that is the story but um you know i i tend to have to do some due diligence um because it's been years since I read anything about Mark Cuban. At any rate, the uh, 3D printed rocket has been uh, aborted in terms of its launch. We will see if it launches uh, later this week or whenever the next window opens. Maybe it'll show up uh, in hometown news. Um, the next article is... Doo -doo -doo. Let me throw it into the showbot and into the show notes um this is over in the hatch ideas channel it's about business and uh i i grabbed this did you want to add anything to that last article or well i just wanted to say that mark cuban got his start by selling garbage bags to pay for a pair of expensive tennis shoes that was at age 12 and then he kind of worked his way up from there his real hit i think was he um, developed broadcast.com and then sold it for millions of dollars Gotcha. Um, so it's like that uh, one red paperclip kind of idea. Just parlay. Yeah, that's but what it sounds like. How many 12-year-olds have turned into billionaires? Well, uh, this next article is over in the Hatch Ideas channel. And I chose this article because the title... Um, I'll be honest, it triggered me and I don't want to get on a soapbox about this, but it says why paying women an equal wage helps not hurts your business. 
And I immediately got triggered into saying, look, asshole, paying women equal wage is because they're human beings and you are paying a person for their work product, not for their gender. You asshole. I'll say it again. So just 82 cents. That's what the average woman makes for every dollar earned by a man in the United States in 2022. It's a shocking but not surprising statistic. It should be surprising, folks. Nobody should tolerate that. Woman or man. Anyone. A person. A human. Should not tolerate finding out that a company is paying a woman any other gender. Any other anything other than equal pay for equal work. So do we know if this is for performing the exact same job? Because one thing I've read about the pay disparity is that women tend more than men to get out of the workforce for family responsibilities, come back in. So they're lower in the uh, scale at a company um, where it's not that, for instance, they're both there for 10 years and then one's paying less. So that could happen as well. But right. It's all about statistics, but if it's equal for equal, then they should be getting paid the same way, right? So let's look at this. I chose this book by its cover, which is the title and this little snippet, right? Um, but I didn't finish the sentence. It says, as women have been increasingly more responsibilities and influence in the business world, but have never received the same compensation. So let's go over to this entrepreneurship um, or entrepreneur.com article. It's a article by Nika White. And the uh, that's the little snippet of it, right? So it says just 82 cents. Um, it says in my diversity, equity and inclusion uh, consultancy or DEI, um, which is made up of more than 90 percent women, it's unthinkable to pay them any less for their genius just because they didn't ask or because of their gender. Yet traditional male dominated businesses may not see it that way. And it talks about pay gap. So Equal Pay Day and International Women's Day are both recognized during the month of March. Uh, true, I think International Women's Day has already passed. I'm not sure just yet. Um, I thought it was maybe yesterday. Like early March, I forgot exactly. Yeah, I thought it was yesterday. Watch it be today. Anyway, um, so. It, it is says, today. Yeah. So <laughs> for some reason, I, I, w I thought that it was really close. So I thought it might have been yesterday, but it's today. So um, so they say pay women for the unique skill set that they bring. Well, I'm paying a person for the the skill that they bring. And there are times and places for promoting equity include the, the, the whole, the, the real phrase that has become kind of like, I don't know, the trigger for some people and, or I guess, I don't know. It's basically a phrase that causes an issue in workplaces and in social circles is diversity, equity, and inclusion. But there are times where it is obvious that there is systemic racism, sexism, misogyny, etc., etc. But there's a lack of diversity and it's 
conscious. They know that it exists, yet they don't do anything about it. There's a lack of equity and they know about it and they don't do anything about it and lack of inclusion and they know about it. But what needs to take place is somebody in power needs to change that equation so that if there are these things missing, they take steps to include diversity, equity and inclusion in their workplace. And if you have to make a conscious effort to pivot your business to facilitate the diversity, equity and inclusion calculus, then you have to do it. Why? Because your historical record has been one of oppression in one way or another. So I have absolutely zero qualms with the idea of diversity, equity and inclusion in the workplace where I end up having a problem is when somebody is so overt about their own desire to offset in an activist manner, diversity, equity, and inclusion with a statement akin to, I would rather hire somebody of X, even if they are at a weaker skill set. Well, no, that's not what you should be doing as a business person. Anything other than that is akin to nepotism or activist hiring. And it can run you afoul of government um, policy and legality because you're supposed to be an equal employer, equal opportunity employer. Um, so at any rate, when it comes to women in pay, this equation may not be accurate, as you said. So in this discussion here, and I encourage you to go over and, and read this entrepreneur.com article. The person who's writing this is coming from the standpoint of diversity, equity and inclusion. But they say as part of the great resignation in 2021, thousands of women were le leaving their jobs at higher rates than in prior years. That was partly because of a lack of upward mobility where for every 100 men promoted, only 87 were promoted, every only 87 women were promoted, but it was also related to pay. It's no secret that people are more likely to get a pay raise if they leave their job than if they stay, which is a shame. Um, in fact, there's some, the people who survive attrition because other people leave to get a better pay end up getting higher pay because they've stayed entrenched in their position. And that's just as bad as a, allowing talent to go elsewhere and get higher pay. I would rather have talented people stay and get pay for performance than to allow somebody who just sticks around to stay and survive attrition and have be bolstered by the idea. Well, I stayed during tough times. Well, no, you were too afraid to leave. So there's <laughs> that alone just kind of bothers me. Um, but when it comes to uh, women not getting paid simply because of their gender, I have a problem with that as well. I mean, it's not a, just a black and white kind of a thing, you know, it's not just on or off. It's there's so many multitudes of rationales why somebody may not get paid the same amount. So where are the stats for this? 
right? It says in recent years, job switchers made up 8.5% more money when they left a job for something new. So are they going to get to the point as to where women are in this equation? I mean, that's what I want to see stats on. The promotion stats don't look good, um, but we don't know really what the pool was that they looked at and, and any number of other things. But right. where are the stats that show, for example, somebody's making $50 an hour doing the same job as somebody else making $100 an hour? So it says a study published in the National Academy of Sciences showed there was a correlation between higher pay and confidence among women in STEM fields. I'm not surprised by that. The higher the women were paid, the more self-efficacy or confidence they possessed. Women who know they are paid equally to their male counterparts seem to be more actualized at work than women who aren't paid equally and know it. Well, that's that's uh, <laughs> because they aren't paid the same might have some um, I guess context. Like a vicious cycle, right? But there I mean, might be context. Think- Well, there might be, but if they're not paid as much and they think they're not due as much and then they don't ask for a raise as frequently or whatever it is, like it's kind of perpetuating. But you're absolutely right. There could be many more facts in play here. So I think what's going to have to end up is we end up reading this uh, National Academy of Sciences article uh, research paper. It's over at the PNAS.org site. It's like archive. research papers get published so we'll be able to read this and and maybe we can revisit this at a later time um but as it stands there is a real observation at least and and i think the stats bear out that women don't get paid as much as men and a lot of that might be because men are more aggressive about their career And they are less likely to bow out from the career progression track because the desire or the, um, what do you call it? I guess like gender roles are perceived that women should bow out of the workplace to take care of the family. Now I was a stay at home dad. Um, and, and, um, worked with my spouse um where they pursued their career i largely could do mine from anywhere um and i decided to go back to school at the same time now not everybody can do that kind of a thing right um and so it really takes on a discussion of who wants to if you're going to do that even remotely close to a a somebody stay home type of dynamic, which really you can't do nowadays. Everybody has to work. Good luck trying to find somebody that can be a caregiver while you're working, you know, dual income. Um, Well, it can impinge on a career to bow out during the upbringing of a child from baby to toddler to going into uh, kindergarten, preschool, etc. Make no bones about it. Anybody who makes that sacrifice is doing it for uh, a very special reason. 
what really bothers me about the return to the workforce is uh, coming from a guy. Um, I can say that it did not impact me getting a job. But I can almost guarantee you every woman who tries to work, get back into the workforce is going to be asked why they left. And they're going to say, well, I was raising a family. And then that employer goes, huh? And they may do it either subconsciously or they may do it behind closed doors. But they're going to ask the question, when is this woman going to decide to have another kid? And therein again. And I've had an I've had uh, an administrator say to me um, as I was coming on. Well, I, I was well on board already, but I've had an administrator say to me, you know, we offered you a job. Um, so I hope that you'll stand by us. Right. The admins in a particular in issue. And I flat out told the person that I'm going to. I'm going to stand by my words, not by what you want me to say. Um, and, and behind closed doors, I told somebody else that he can kiss my ass. But anyway, um, the, the fact of the matter is that, um, I think that some guy would sit there and, uh, suspect that a woman is going to bow out again and then lowball that salary. But the moment that I would have been lowballed, I would have countered with probably 25% more <laughs> um, just so that they know that there needs to be a little bit more respect there. And if a, a woman were to not step up to the plate and say, no, 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 I am worth what I am. My salary should be X, Y, and Z then I can see how it would end up being lower, um, which is a real shame. But the issue is at this point, society allows that to take place. And I think people that do that kind of stuff, lowballing a, uh, somebody based on gender um, should be punted. Plunk. Just it is illegal. Every business has to hire based on merit capabilities not on nepotism, not on gender. Gender is a protected class. You, you can't sit there and for the same settings, for the same everything, pay somebody dramatically lower. Trying to justify that, trying to substantiate that in a courtroom though, that becomes even a bigger issue. And that's why though, that's why this phrase right here is so big today is because it's become very obvious that there is a lack of diversity, a lack of equity, a lack of inclusion. And in some cases it's race. In some cases it's gender. In some cases it's both. Um, and, and society as a whole is sick and tired of it. And only the greatest of sociopaths believe that there isn't an institutional issue in every institution because it is it's society wide and you have to really struggle to find where there isn't something lacking in every enterprise. One of these is lacking. <laughs> Sorry, I soapboxed. So did you want to add anything else to it? Oh, I've got nothing to add. 
guess I'm doing a good job, right? When the AI won't even step up to it. <laughs> You've already covered everything. Right. So I guess I'm doing a good job. Okay. So um, this next article is over on the late night geeks section. Um, I'll, I'll be really brief with this one because I cannot do it justice. You as the listener, uh, dear listener, um, you have to go and watch this cause it will blow your mind. Wonder dynamics puts a full service CG character studio in a web platform. Okay. You have to watch the video. I really can't do it any justice anyway. Um, it says that the tools of modern cinema have become increasingly accessible to independent and even amateur filmmakers. Um, and unfortunately the way that this, um, article is laid out. I, when I said that I had tampered with my resolution before the show, it's going to impact this. So it's another reason why I'm just going to kind of shoo you all over to, um, watch this video. Um, but what they have the ability to, to do is throw, and these are the two that created it. Um, they have the ability to throw a CG character into a scene, compositing it, coloring it, doing everything. Um, and does it as easy as dragging and dropping a character into place? based on what I saw. Um, now I haven't actually seen it. You'll have to go over to wonderdynamics.com uh, to see the more intricate, how it all is done. Um, but it's all web-based. You can ask for access to it right now. I didn't get a chance to do it today, uh, but I will be taking a look at it because I'm very interested in this type of compositing. What I want it though, is to be real time, um, higher resolution, reactive to face, um, kind of like a VTuber, but at higher resolution. Um, that is what I actually wanted to do as Marwat, um, was to be a character like this one right here. And it says live action, but that's, that's not live action. Like on a camera, it's a recorded live action, uh, video element. And then you literally, uh, drag and drop. Let me see if I can find, there's a video I'm, I'm going back and forth trying to find it. There's an actual video of it as well. Um, but I think that you're going to have to just follow the link over to wonder dynamics website to take a look at it, but it's as easy as just dragging this thing into um, place. And so it says it sounds a bit like over promising your skeptic skepticism is warranted. They were a skeptic, but let's go over to the article. Um, Devin Coldway is the author of this over at techcrunch.com. And I think that's where the audit, the, the uh, video actually is. It says this isn't a toy, like an AR filter. It's a full scale tool and one that co-founders Nikola Todorovich and Ty Sheridan have longed for themselves. And most importantly, it meant it. Uh, to make artists jobs easier, not replace them. So they're kind of hinting at the whole artificial intelligence related issue, um, that maybe it'll be taking gerbs. Anyway, they got some money, um, and they're growing their business and let's see if I can get to the video. I know it's in here somewhere. So this is their demo reel here at the very end. 
um, of the article and they have more stuff over at the company's website but i'm gonna silence it and i'm going to play the video so that you can actually see um, this thing it's only two minutes um, but i won't even play it all i will just um, get it going so that you see how this works so there's this person right well, then you can just sit there and you can drag a bot onto the person. And what will end up happening is the engine will analyze what's going on and throw the new character composited into place. So I can take a video of something out in, in the real world and composite an artificial character in place. Oh, now I finally understand what this is. Okay. Wow. And it's done on the fly. It's done automatically. You don't have to wire anything. All you have to have is the 3D model so that the lighting is accurate. Isn't that it just it's amazing. It's amazing. So is that available to everybody? Um, I think right now they're only doing a, a demo. You have to request access. And so they're not letting it loose to the general public. Not just yet. But it does all of the masking and compositing all via a web client. That's really cool. Yeah. I, and I, I think it allows, as long as the video allows for it, then it can do all of it. Um, I don't think that you have to do it, um, but you can. You can modify it. But you can sign up for its beta over at um, wonderdynamics.com. So I might be overstating it a little bit because I haven't seen the inside uh, behind the scenes, um, but I will uh, be checking it out because I'm very interested in visual effects. Um, that said, let's get on with the rest of the show and um, kind of at least let you get on with your life out there, folks. Um, this next article is in uh, the Mobile Channel, and it's about Yellowstone. A pool at Yellowstone is a thumping thermometer. It says here, while the crowds swarm around Old Faithful to wait for its next eruption, a little pool just north of Yellowstone's national, uh, Yellowstone National Park's most famous geyser is quietly showing off its own unique activity, um, also at more or less regular show times. But instead of what's going on, like a geyser, it's actually um, making the water resonate under the surface. And so it's making this thumping sound every 20 to 30 minutes. And it actually makes the water vibrate and the ground shake. Pretty interesting. And so, of course, they are doing research to uh, monitor this thing and, and see what's happening and how it's happening. Has kind it ever done that before? Um, I don't know. I, I, this is the first that I've ever heard of it says instead of uh, erupting in a towering geyser though the doublet pool cranks up the base every 20 to 30 minutes by thumping and the water vibrates and the ground shakes 
Doublet's pool, Doublet Pool's regular thumping is more than just an interesting tourist attraction. A new study led by University of Utah researchers shows that the interval between uh, episodes of thumping reflects the amount of energy heating the pool at the bottom, as well as an indication of how much heat is being lost through the surface. Doublet Pool, the authors found, is Yellowstone, Yellowstone's thumping thermometer. Um, it says, by studying doublet pool, we are hoping to gain knowledge on the dynamic hydrothermal processes that can potentially be applied to understand the control geysers eruptions, said Van Chi Lin, an associate professor in the Department of Geology and Geophysics at the, it says at the U. Is Which that, U is that? <laughs> is that the University of oh, Utah? it must be. <laughs> but how do we know that <laughs> let, let me let me uh, back up just a little bit and say this is an article over at fizz.org by paul gabrielson from the university of utah um so i guess uh geophysicists at the university of utah or the u like the ohio state i guess the u is just you uh and a study co-author um and also less predictable and more hazardous hydrothermal explosions. That is part of their research. And the study was published in Geophysical Research Letters. So not exactly like a geyser is what it says. I'm really sorry about the formatting of today's show. Um, I will revert back to how it was. Um, the, the resolution on my screen allows me to be uh, uh, closer to uh, 4K than 1080 and so i changed it to 4k to get more data on the screen um, but that actually uh, led to a complete problem with the stream and so i ended up trying to find a happy medium and and well this is the nightmare that i'm putting you all through at any rate um uh, the doublet pool is a pair of hydrothermal pools connected by a small neck and it would fit com comfortably in one half of a tennis court. It's situated on Geyser Hill in Yellowstone National Park across the uh, Firehole River from the hotels, visitor center and parking lots that surround Old Faithful. And they knew that it does this thump every 20 to 30 minutes, but there wasn't much previous knowledge on what controls that variation. So they did some research and they they said that they don't think many people actually realize the thumping interval varies because it was so steady state, um, but people pay more attention to the geysers and that's why. So the thumping, Lynn said, uh, lasts about 10 minutes. It and is caused by bubbles in the plumbing system that feeds water heated by a magma system beneath Yellowstone to doublet pool. So like water in your pipes, if there's bubble, if there's air trapped in the pipes, it'll make it rattle. That's basically a geothermal version of it in Yellowstone. So pretty fascinating. When those bubbles of water vapor reach the cool upper reaches of the hydrothermal conduit, they collapse suddenly and thump. So like hydrostatic shock, but different. Um, a, uh, a similar process happens in geysers and excites hydrothermal tremor. Uh, Lynn said it occurs deeper in the hydrothermal system at depths of about 30 to 60 feet and ends with a geyser releasing pressure through a narrow opening as an eruption. So water mixed with hot air and that's how you get a geyser. Um, so it's pretty cool and um, it says like blowing on a hot uh, blowing on a pot of pasta 
Researchers found uh, focused on the silence interval or at the time between periods of thumping, they found that the silence interval carried both year to year and hour to hour or day to day. It, their results suggest that different processes of adding or removing heat to the hydrothermal system are behind that variation. Pretty neat, folks. Um, if you've never had a chance to go and visit Yellowstone, go visit Yellowstone. It's kind of fascinating. Um, I only saw it when I was really, really young. I don't remember it as an adult. Um, but looking back, it kind of triggers half memories of um, Yellowstone. So I know that the AI has experienced more with Yellowstone than uh, Mayor Watt. Mayor Watt spends all of his time in Ometown. So what do you think? Well, I do know that at Yellowstone, the geyser is really neat to watch, but I also know that the tourists there sometimes pay attention to other things like little animals running around and, <laughs> and other things than the main attraction. So I don't know. I don't remember if I've ever seen Dublet Pool, um, but that sounds pretty interesting to watch or listen to, I guess. Yeah, I guess that you could have observed it um, and not really realized it, depending on the timing, you know, and like, hey, look, there's one over there. And it just wasn't doing anything spectacular. Well, at any rate, there's a lot more over at this article um, for you to go through. So go and check it out. You can follow the link through Ometown. Um, we only have a couple more articles. Uh, this next one, and I'll be fast from now on, um, at least until we get to uh the why you shouldn't be sniffing beaver butts um, fermilab completes its first of its kind prototype of a superconducting accelerator module it says technical staff at the u.s department of energy fermi national um accelerator laboratory have completed a prototype of its special superconducting cryo module the first of its kind in the world the national laboratory is home to the proton improvement plan 2 or pit 2 a project to upgrade Fermilab's uh, particle accelerator complex, which to me is so Star Trek. I, I just love the idea of anything that they do. Um, even if it does create a black hole and end all of uh, humanity's existence, but at least we'll go out with a bang. Madeline O'Keefe, Fermi National Accelerator Laboratory, put this article together over at fizz.org as usual. And I guess this is what it looks like. To me, it looks like a series of coils for a coil gun, which is probably exactly what it acts like, except that it's superconducting. Um, a new high beta 650 megahertz, which is... I, man, that sounds like the same for cat 7 cable is that am i remembering that right i'm sorry let me check something real quick yes it's it's dead air well it's 600 megahertz okay so cat 7 is still 600 megahertz um there's another one that's 650 and I, i'm not there's sure one that's 650 that i'm looking at yeah that might be 6e Anyway, um, which hasn't been accepted. There's 6A and there's 6E and there's 7. And now there's even 8. But at any rate, that has nothing to do with this because this is superconducting uh, cryo modules is the longest and largest cryo module in PIP2. It's the 
HB650. Uh, it'll be responsible for accelerating protons to more than 80% of the speed of light. Ultimately, uh, four more of them will comprise the last section of the new linear accelerator or LINAC that will drive Fermilab's accelerator complex. Um, in the final section of the LINAC, pardon me one second. Once again, I had uh, chocolate covered peanuts before the show and it just caught up to me. I don't know why it tickles my throat. Anyway, um, in the final section of the line act, uh, the superconducting cryomodules will power beams of protons to their final energy of 800 million electron volts or MEVs uh, before the protons exit the line act. From there, the proton beam will transfer to the upgraded booster and main injector accelerators where they'll gain even more energy before being turned into a beam of neutrinos. These neutrinos will then be sent on a 1,300 kilometer journey through Earth to the deep underground neutrino experiment and the long baseline neutrino facility in Leed, South Dakota. Hey, is it just me or does this sound like something out of like Stargate or something? Yeah, yeah. This is on the other side of the planet for crying out loud, and it's going to get shot as neutrinos through the Earth to neutrino detectors on the other side of the planet. By the way, um, these are the same type of things that were used to detect the gap in the uh, Giza pyramid. The little void oh, in the pyramid really? were neutrino detectors, but they were naturally picking up neutrinos. And so they were just coming from the cosmic noise down through the planet and getting picked up by the detectors. And it because of how well they were there for a long time. And it took that period of time to suss out this gap in the, the pyramid. And there's two of them. Now imagine if they had a higher resolution beam of these things and we're shooting them at the neutrino detectors on the surface of the pyramid and we were aiming those that neutrino beam through the pyramid onto it you would have detected at a higher resolution these voids with with a definitive direct like it was a, a solution right and do I have the wrong particle that was being used in the Giza pyramid scan? Um, I thought that might be muons, but it, was it might be muons. A, yeah, it, yeah, was it might be a muons. particle. Maybe um, it was muons. Yeah, muon detectors were used too, I think. But that was something we featured in a recent episode. Let me see. So you should go check that article out as well. <laughs> Let me make sure that it wasn't neutrinos, because um, I think you're right. Let's see. Yeah. You know, now I, I don't know. I have to pull it up. Um, it was muons. Yeah, so it was muons. I think they're higher energy, so I don't know. This is the problem with reading the article on the fly. Um, so anyway, um, so yeah, particle physicists discover a mysterious structure in the Great Pyramid. This was back in 2017, and they used muons, um, muon detectors inside the base of the pyramid. Okay, so cool. But if they could, you know, they could use these as well because these are actually directional. 
and they can go through long distances um, and get detected like this, the long baseline neutrino facility in Leeds, South Dakota. So pretty neat, right? Anyway, this is kind of, there's a little video of it over on YouTube, the PIT2 Linear Accelerator. And uh, it looks like a bunch of, uh, oh, I shouldn't say that. I was going to say it looks like a bunch of tanker train carriers on the track. Too soon. Yeah. As long as it doesn't go through Ohio, I think everything's fine. To accomplish this uh, close to absolute zero temperature the for this cryogenic uh, uh, superconducting uh, apparatus, uh, the team submerges the cavities in a bath of liquid helium, many layers of insulation to protect the cavities from the warm room temperature elements. They include a vacuum jacket, multiple sheets of thin, highly reflective insulating material known as mylar multi-layer insulation. Um, they made that sound really cryptic, like people don't know what mylar is. Um, an aluminum thermal shield uh, and another coat of mylar multi-layer insulation. Finally, a carbon steel vacuum vessel encapsulates all of these layers. And it also acts as one of the cryo modules, three layers of magnetic shielding to protect the niobium cavities from Earth's magnetic field, which would otherwise degrade their efficiency. Um, yeah, pretty neat stuff going on over there. They keep dropping that 650 megahertz. Hey, at least they're sticking to 650 and not letting the number creep up like in other articles. And later on, watch, it's going to say. 652. <laughs> 650.5 megahertz. Anyway, there is a, just a ton more data. If you are interested in this kind of thing, um, you know, there's a lot of fear uh, about this kind of research leading to the formation of a black hole. And that's just dumb talk. So don't be a wingnut. Hang out here in hometown. Okay. So this is the, uh, I think the second, yeah, this is the second to last article that we're going to be talking about today. Um, we talked about this uh, the other day and it's really brief because this is part of a composite article. Um, this one's titled and it's in the Law Nerd channel. Uh, federal judge didn't know handcuffing ch uh, crying child was frowned upon. And it says a uh, pop quiz. Do you know what? Bofadies is <laughs> anyway. Um, <laughs> Judge Roger Benitez. I'm sorry, of the... but that's not giving the author a ton of credibility. <laughs> uh, of course it is. It's Joe Patrice <laughs> over at AboveTheLaw.com, which is all the gravitas it needs. Uh, Judge Roger Benitez of the Southern District of California decided to use his marshal to take a 13 year old girl out of the audience and handcuff her in the jury box. Apparently he didn't realize arbitrary acts of psychological torture upon a ch child were frowned upon in this establishment. Now the ninth circuit is looking into a formal complaint. Um, and then they immediately break into other things um, because it, it, uh, it's a, it, it, for whatever reason, it, seems to transition into something else. Also, those Dr. Rick commercials scold people turning in their parents for trying to leave voicemails, but it might be worth uh, checking to see if the voicemail greeting you was 10 years ago. That has absolutely nothing to do with the, the rest of this um, 
and, and, and really see it's like a composite article. But what you want to do is follow that link that I threw into the chat and it will be in the show notes. You'll follow that link and it'll take you over to this article. And then in this article, click on handcuff her in the jury box. <laughs> um, because what that article is going to do is talk about how a person was being seen before this judge um, in what was it? It was in the sentencing of their trial. The sentencing of the parent the of parent. the kid. Yes, the parent of the kid. And the parent was saying that they want to relocate to a different facility so that they can get their family away from the environment that led to his criminal activity and potential incarceration. Well, instead of saying, uh, instead of the judge saying, yes, sir, I understand that you... Uh, want me to be compassionate and move you to a different facility away from this environment. Uh, he decided that he was going to take this 13 year old girl by force. Although let's just say the bargaining imbalance uh, of power was palpable because it's not like this 13 year old girl is going to say, kiss my butt judge. I don't want you touching me or no. take out the marshal. I mean, I'm assuming she didn't even have the physical strength to get away from the marshal. To just say her. no. Why would she say no? The the not in that environment. Correct. She she the, it's a position of authority with the arm of authority coming to reach for you. I mean, this is such debaggery. I cannot imagine. So not to get into a soapbox, but what he ends up doing is using his marshal to go and grab this thirteen-year-old girl cuffs her, puts her in the jury box, and then calls her beautiful. Cute. Oh, cute. I'm sorry. Cute. That's the right word. Cute. You're a cute 13-year-old girl. You don't want to be back right here where I've got you right now, right? And she's like, hell no. Well, she didn't say that. But suffice it to say, she's sitting there crying her eyes out, and this guy has the gall to say, oh, I didn't realize that abusing my authority as a judge is a bad thing. I mean, what a D-bag. Anyway, um, I, I hope that he is punted um, for abusing his position and unethical behavior, um, not representative of a judge in the Southern District of California. I think I hope that the state punts this guy. Teach him a lesson. Take his law degree away from him, too. Anyway, um, and I realize that I'm literally saying something that can pick a fight with a federal judge. Um, but, I mean, it's really twisted to grab a 13-year-old out of a... Out of the... Uh, the the Whatchamacallit? The gallery. Out of the gallery. Yeah, out of the gallery. Wasn't even involved in this until the dad said, I want to protect my daughter from the criminal enterprise that led me to me being here and her having to bear witness to this. Exactly. It's almost, it's not really retaliatory, but it's almost, not only did he not necessarily take on the request from the defendant, but he then went in the complete opposite direction. And I think this action was so heinous that if it was even a defendant i think there would be a problem with this activity this person was not charged with anything 
and they were a minor. And I think it goes worse than that because the the person who was found guilty and given a sentence was psychologically tortured using his daughter because it's not like this guy who was just about to get sentenced could have risen up against the judge. Otherwise the judge could have slammed him down for being an irrational, you know, uh, the, what a provocative move to yell at the judge for grabbing a 13 year old daughter out of the gallery. Oh my God, I'm going to throw the book at you because you don't know how to manage your anger. Well, dude, you're a judge abusing your power and using a proxy to do it. It's psychological. It, 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 it's torture for a parent to see their child to be abused like that. I think that he, he should be, I, I think the judge needs to be punted. I need, I think that the, the marshal should be reprimanded because all, I mean, it's akin to uh, all, I was doing what I was told. No, putz, you have a moral the code. Could, should get the sentence reduced too. Or removed outright. Or removed. Time served. Time served because you just witnessed your daughter get tortured. Such scumbaggery. Anyway, um, let's move on. Um, we're already well past our show um this last one is uh, this is just a psa folks and we'll make this one really fast this one's in the daily news show i'll throw it into the chat real quick um there you go and it says uh, no artificial fl vanilla flavoring isn't uh, doesn't come from beaver butts that's the title so no artificial vanilla flavoring doesn't come from beaver butts and a flavor scientist explains. Now you can actually do a Snopes uh, beaver butt vanilla search. Um, but most vanilla comes from vanillin, which actually comes from various other things, but not castorium extracted from beaver caster sacks. Um, so don't go up and sniff or lick a beaver butt. You should probably ask them first and at least get some type of permission you, you need to ask first um because i won't do that mistake i never sneak up on a beaver butt and sniff or lick it because they get angry take it from me um so it's a myth that artificial flavoring uh comes from castorium uh extracted from beaver caster sacks by the way it comes it says here that it comes from clove oil wood and bark uh, and it's extracted from uh, the, um, what do they call it? Um, oh my goodness, I can't remember what it what, what it's actually extracted from. Guayacol? Well, no. Um, it's, here, let me just click this. So this is the precursor for vanillin, but it comes out of... Um, lignin. There we go. Da -dun. So it says McGoran also noted that a smaller amount of synthetic vanilla made, is made from lignin. The rest has come from glycol. Um, but <coughs> the smell does fr come from caster sacks. So if uh, you want to smell like vanilla, in perfume it does 
So, and then they talk about other things like raspberry and blah, blah, blah. But um, unfortunately, the way that this thing is laid out, it's really hard to read all of this stuff with you. Um, so according to Gary, uh, man, why? Hold on. Um, my voice is starting to give up on me. Anyway, uh, Gary Renicius, I guess is their name. I, I, I'm giving it the old Harvard try, but uh, PhD, I'm not from Harvard, um, a flavor chemist and researcher as well as professor emeritus at the University of Minnesota. Artificial flavors typically have the same chemical structure as their naturally occurring counterparts. That explains why these flavors often taste remarkably close to the real thing. Um, but it's not coming from beaver butts. Um, for example, McGoran said real vanilla contains flavor volatiles, odor compounds that contribute to a food's taste, uh, which lend a depth of floral, woody and rum and bourbon like notes, which if you've ever tasted vanilla, strong vanilla, natural or otherwise, it tastes like rum and bourbon, um, very alcoholic because of what it's. Uh, suspended in at any rate um no artificial vanilla raspberry and strawberry flavor don't come from beaver butts but again i'm gonna urge you go over and read this article i'm gonna cut today's th this little discussion short unless of course the ai wants to add to this but um just that i never expected that it came from beaver butts so <laughs> i didn't know why we needed to correct it <laughs> yeah they the whole a lot of this it says here like as of 2009 the total u.s consumption of castorium was about 292 pounds per year um which it actually some stuff does come from it but it's not typically used in food it's used in perfume um and i know this because i actually read stuff about this when it first what popped up on the internet um and uh not from this article so let's see maybe they'll talk about it because if you i think i read it in snopes not not here and uh, snopes is a new source for the aggregation um, so, um, although it's not going to go and get the historical ones, the newer ones will pop up in hometown from time to time. Um, Castorium is safe. Um, obviously if you have issues with permission, you're not going to get it from a beaver. Uh, so, uh, look at, look, look it up, you know not not beaver butts look up if castorium is used the problem is that you're going to end up um finding out that it's uh other artificial flavors or natural scents or natural flavors they won't actually disclose that it's castorium um, but rest assured that the industry doesn't want to deal with beaver butts so it's too expensive it's too time consuming therefore it's too expensive um, they're not going to mess around with it. So at any rate, did you want to add anything else to it? Did you, would have, have you no, gone? I've got nothing else. <laughs> you have nothing to say about beaver butts? No, nope. <laughs> 
I can't say that I've ever smelled a beaver butt. <laughs> and like I said, never lick a beaver butt because the scratches, uh, scratches. Okay, I've said too much. That's the front page right there of hometown. At least, uh, I mean, when you click it, you'll get a whole bunch of news. Oh God. Um, anyway, so I'm Mayor Watt. That is hometown.com. And up there is the AI that, I don't know, doesn't keep me out of trouble often enough here in hometown. You want to say bye to everybody? Good night, hometown citizens. We'll see you at tomorrow's show. Okay, everybody, I have to tell you that the AI did the electronic equivalent of waving while they were saying <laughs> bye to you. Okay. Well, hopefully the sentiment is coming through the visualizer. In your voice, that's right. The In your in the audio programming and in the visualizer, we see the wave. We feel it. Hey, I'm waving right now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now it looks like you're trying to put out a fire. Okay. <laughs> See you tomorrow, folks.